when people meet you, what, what do they say? Uh, they say, what are you doing next? I bet. And how do you answer that? So I'm working on a number of projects. I, I, many of them are uh, somewhat secretive, so the best I can do is tease them with, uh, well, I've got a number of projects in mind, and I don't know which one I will concentrate on uh, next. I would imagine when you come here, I don't know, how many times do you come here and play in a year? Probably 25, 30. Okay. This is maybe the course you play the most. Yeah, this is. It's so easy. It's uh, 10 minutes. I just made the 10-minute walk from my house here, and that's awfully easy. That's a and you did friendly with, commute. And you, and you did it with one club? I did it with one club, hoping that, Eric, when we play later, you'll, tell, you'll pick one club, and we'll uh, play a couple holes with one club. What's the strategy on club selection? You don't... Oh, the strategy? Yeah. It's probably a four or five iron. Okay. And you, we need a rule. If we, hit, uh, if we hit into a bunker, we can either hit it out or throw it out. <laughs> I'll defer to you on that, whatever. We actually have a championship, uh, one club championship, which was going to be simply everyone using a three or four iron. And then a number of our contestants said, well, what if we get it in a bunker? We're not as good as Seve Ballesteros. We can't get out. I said, okay, you, can, you get one throw. <laughs> one of our members is Kirk Triplett from uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And the last hole, on the, going into the last hole, he was tied with, I'm, I forget with whom. He had a good drive and chose to throw his next shot because he still had his throw left. And he threw it into the hole from 120 yards. <laughs> Try throwing a golf ball 120 yards, much yeah, less but, accurately. That would, I would be a pain. Yeah. It would be an injury. The Dunes Club for you has probably evolved, not so much in the grass, but in your mind. Have you thought about that much recently, about its, its lifetime and how your relationship with this place has evolved? Uh, the, the more sand sites I see, the more I realize that the, uh, the reason the Dunes Club worked is that we, we have gorgeous sand dunes here. Who, who would have guessed? I, you know, before I got into the golf business, it would have been just a wilderness. But um, playing Pine Valley as much as I did and uh, owning this place, I f- it took me a while, but I finally realized the terrain here is the same as uh, Pine Valley as with many other sand barren spots. You just used the word wilderness, which most people may not realize is a, is a key, a clue into your version of golf that you've created for the world. Can you talk about that word? The more natural a golf course looks, usually meaning no houses, go to Pine Valley. You know, you see, you barely see two or three houses. Basically, it, Pine Valley is my model. It is a 350-acre wilderness. So whenever you've got no houses, uh, sand dunes, and big old gnarly uh, sand, jack pines and burr oak, you've got a perfect mix for golf. So in some sense, it's like Pine Valley for the people. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to play Cog Hill. Where where did that sit for you in terms of fertilizer for this? That was my first club. When I I first got here, I met a Stanford uh, varsity golfer, now now doctor, Dr. Finley Brown, and said, Finley, where do you play golf? Because he had young kids too, and I've just sensed that he wasn't going to join a club anytime soon. And he said, oh, my club is Dubs Dread. It's a public course, but I think of it as my, my course. And as soon as I played it, I knew that was going to be my course until I finally joined Butler years later. But for, for years, uh, Dubs Dread was 
Finley's Club, my club, and the club of many in Chicago. Now, I actually don't know, is Dove's Dread a uh, privately owned public course, or is it actually a municipal course? It is a privately owned public course, owned by the Jemsik family. That'd be an interview for you. Uh, Joe Jemsik was the founder, he's now deceased. But his son, Frank, runs the, uh, with his family, runs Dub's Dread, which is one of three or four golf courses open to the public out there. And you learn many things there, but maybe what's the thing you learned the most? Uh, the, Joe Jemsik's goal was to build a, uh, to own and maintain a golf course in the same shape, a public golf course, in the same condition as you'd find at a private course. So his what I learned from him is the, the vast majority of golfers are public, public golfers. They aren't private club members, they aren't rich, they're normal people. That's what I learned from Dub's Dread. It was, a, it was fun to play, it was always well manicured, very, the staff is very friendly, so that's always been my model. Would any point, is that simple realization also an aha moment? Yes. The aha is you look at the rankings of the top 50 or top 100 US, they're almost all private. So I was one who, I got lucky with Pine Valley, I had a couple of people I could just call, or they called me and said, you wanna play Pine Valley, but getting on a course like Shinnecock at the time, Augusta, Cypress Point, virtually impossible for most people. So why not build something commensurate with those and open it to the public? That was the aha moment. There are not many great public golf courses. It like makes me sad. That is. Think of Scotland and Ireland where they have all, you know, most courses are clubs. We would be members, but we welcome uh, outside play. You don't have to be accompanied. You just have to pay their now exorbitant greens fee. It used to be uh, cheap to play golf in the greats of Scotland and Ireland. But whatever the price, um, you can play virtually all the Scottish and Irish beauties, and they are wonderful. Even Muirfield, which is the most, the most Augusta-like of the Scottish courses, if you stay at the right place, you can get into Muirfield. We don't need to get into a history lesson, but from your perspective, where did we go wrong? Golf carts. Golf carts and branding. Robert Trent Jones uh, Sr., I'd say in particular, maybe Pete Dye, but Jones Sr. Um, wanted to make everything tough. So tournament ready. When owners who tend not to know what they want were asked by him, they would all say, oh, something tough. So since World War II, we've been building tough courses. Think of the golden era of the teens and the 20s when Cypress Point, National Golf Links, Lido, Pine Valley, they were all done, and they were all done in fairly simple, natural settings. Robert Trent Jones Sr. had these long runways of tees, very unnatural. There's pretty much every, this is not a vendetta against him, but modern golf designed around the golf cart, which was the revenue producer for the club, is where we veered into championship courses serviced by golf carts. Big, it wasn't really a choice, it was just sort of a tendency, and it, it was there, it's been there for 30 years. So maybe you're not so much a visionary, but more of a historian. I'd say so. Yeah, the visionaries were Old Tom Morris and all the people who worked in uh, George Crump, the guy who did Oakmont, those were the, the amazing uh, visionaries is Samuel Morse, 
He convinced his board, they owned uh, Del Monte Forest where Pebble Beach now is, and he convinced them to uh, abandon home sites on the ocean if he could build a golf course, which was Pebble Beach. Imagine that meeting with young Sam Morris saying, I want to take all these profitable lots that we're aimed to sell and move them inland and put the golf course right on this gorgeous spread of ocean. And he convinced them, and you know the, 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 the rest about Pebble Beach. Well, and ironically now those plots of land are worth even more. Yeah, that's right, if you just sit on the land. How come you haven't done houses? I don't like houses. I like Pine Valley. If you glimpse a house, you barely glimpse a house, and you probably there are three or four that you see if you're really looking for them. Everything else is you in a wilderness, you in a sandscape wilderness. I would actually argue with you, though. I think it's not that you don't like houses. I think it's that you don't do it for the money. Fair enough. Is golf a business for you? Yes. Really? Who would have guessed? You, but it's not a business. It's, it's, it's a... It's a business in the sense that like a person takes up poker later in life after they've had their own success. And turns out to be pretty good at poker. I mean, it bad. just turns out that sand, sand dunes on ocean with the right uh, architect is a winning formula, even if you apply it in Bandon, Oregon, <laughs> or in Rome, Wisconsin, or Nova Scotia, or maybe the remotest of all, uh, Tasmania, which is a whole different thing. But Incredible. I actually heard your, you, you, you left an imprint on Tasmania right before opening day. Didn't you reverse the routing? Uh, I'm a little, little hazy on that. Tom me, and, um, Tom and um, Mark had routed the front nine on this side and the back nine on that side. And you said, you can't play into the wind for the middle nine. You gotta oh, I guess that's the, right. You got to reverse the routing. So the day before, I think they just of it reversed as, the team. Yeah, markers. the team decided to reverse it. Ah, pleasant. It, so I, oh, I had a great question. I got sidetracked when you said Tasmania. Um, you, you, um, you must have had a lot of people in the beginning who obviously were like, you're crazy. Uh, everyone. Everyone. But was there one voice that actually made you second guess yourself? Uh, not really. It was, it was, everyone said, this is crazy. What are you doing? Why don't you just play golf? Why are you building something in Bandon, Oregon? And uh, Eric, it was, it was because I had the money to lose. Most people can't say, I'll bet $15 million that it, it breaks even, because that was my hope. <laughs> I mean, that's, and my friends were uh, probably in the league of, we don't have $15 million, therefore, why are you blowing it on this ridiculous, what should be a sheep ranch? So I'd like to claim that I, I saw some something in the future, and I honestly didn't. I thought it would be fun to do, then there was a chance I could break even. And then all of us golfers found out about it and said, we don't have to go to Scotland, we can go to Bandon, which, which increased in uh, sort of magnetic interest as second, third, fourth, and now fifth golf course goes in. I mean, who would have thought that back in the 70s, someone would build five Links golf courses in Bandon, Oregon, and actually be smiling about it. Here we are, Eric. We're talking about yeah, it's a story. A five course complex. Um, you uh, sorry, one second. 
like a lot of great stories, there's a napkin involved. Can you tell people listening what this napkin said, and, and do you still have the napkin? I, I don't still have the napkin, and bring me, bring me to napkin uh, reality. The, 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 the requirement for what the space you were looking for, wasn't that on a napkin? Maybe uh, I have no doubt that we made notes on napkins. <laughs> The, 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 the requirements for the space you were looking for, where it just, it just sort of, that is where I would argue that me, you are more of a visionary because you saw something where no one else saw it. Uh, if you and I were looking at the top 25 world, we would, take, we would take note if we spent any time on it, how many of those 25, roughly 18, are on sand. So there, there you'd say, I love Pine Valley, and it's because it's one big sand dune and a sand barren. Number two, let's see if sand is an important uh, aspect of the best golf course in the world. It is. So if the Dunes Club, which is sand, has, was an artistic success and I want to do it again, I don't want to do it on clay or dirt. I want to do it on the ocean in sand. The only thing missing in that napkin was uh, the importance of the architect. And there I got lucky and abandoned uh, by picking David and Jimmy Kidd. Who knew that they would be as brilliant as they were? I didn't. I don't even know if they did. <laughs> no, I think they said, what the heck? <laughs> we'll give it a try. If he's crazy enough to hire us to do this crazy uh, location, which they were used to being from Scotland and Ireland. They had made the trip to Dornick or Ballybunion or Royal Port Stewart, any of those that are remote. They thought it was... a you know, if anyone was positive, they were probably the most optimistic. This could work. At that time, did David have his own plane? No. David had nothing. David was 28 years old and had never designed anything other than a practice range. So you are probably wondering, why did I hire him? I hired David and his dad, Jimmy, from Glen Eagles. He was the master superintendent at Glen Eagles to uh, do a routing and build the golf course. And I knew that it was a handshake deal. And if I didn't like what they were doing, I could fire them. And they knew that too, and worked really hard to come up with, uh, I think, a brilliant routing. How did you come up with that negotiation tactic? Is that, you don't strike me as a Fire cutthroat up. businessman. Uh, no, but I was in the greening card business and was well aware of the best greening card sells X and the worst greening card in a store sells one five hundredth of X. The difference between the winner and the, all the losers was huge. So I took that mindset into David and Jimmy's routing and thought it was pretty good, but it was only 14 holes, not 18 holes, of pretty good to great uh, holes. And there we were sort of stuck until uh, my neighbor, the uh, bad lawyer, went bankrupt and we were able to buy his 400 acres and I gave David five, six, seven, eight, holes number five, six, seven, eight at, the, at Band of Dunes came from this neighbor's bankruptcy. And he, the neighbor, by the way, was a bad guy. He's, he stole from people. So when you describe five, six, seven, and eight, that's a triangle within your thousands of acres. Yes. That's strange that you would buy a piece of property missing. A well, I, I bought a roughly a square and the square lacked four additional great holes. So I got 14 holes on the initial square and then that triangle was the part of the next square that we used to do five, six, seven, eight. And those are some of them, those are some incredible holes. Whoa. 
<laughs> just, think, just think of five. Yeah. I mean, who invented five? I don't know. So somewhere in there, you know, when with the luck of this bankruptcy and David getting four four new holes that we all felt were fabulous, you know, where did that that additional land? You typically can't plan on looking over the fence and saying, "I'd like to be able to buy that." And in this case, it came along in a matter of months. So you found that sand is sort of the. Uh you know, underpinning underlying, yeah, factor for success in golf. What is it for greeting cards for that one 500th? Uh, she, it's a, a person, Sandra Boynton was our genius. We had a number of gifted uh, artists. We had a number of mediocre artists who didn't last long. And then we had one genius, Sandra Boynton, who is still creating uh, at a mile a minute, not just greeting cards, but books, songs, music. She's brilliant. That's generous. Sandra, what is she, what are, what are, of, she must make some duds. She of the does. ones that are successful, what do they have in common? They have a cleverness and a uh, pixie-like appeal to women in particular. But for example, the best card she's ever done and possibly the best card ever, ever designed by anyone, much like the Royal, uh, the old course at St. Andrews, was a picture of a hippo, uh, two birds and a sheep. Hippo, birdie, two ewes. Not, not a sheep, two sheep. Hippo, birdie, two ewes. We would put that card in some of our best stores and it would sell a dozen in one day. In the greeting card business, unlike golf, you can print some, put it in 20 stores, and immediately tell whether it's a winner, good, or lousy. So based on her, we knew that not everything she did was great. And a simple test showed us that selling a dozen cards of one design per day was all world. Why would people buy a card with the hippo birds and to use? Good question, because it was cute, clever. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you'd say, gee, I never would have thought of that, or I wish I had thought of that. It was not clever by half, but just clever enough to get you to say, I'm going to buy five of those. <laughs> I got birthdays. Stretching way in the future, I'm going to buy five. Because that's what happened. People would buy multiples. Was it the cards themselves or was it the idea that they were recycled, do you think, that people... Cards themselves. Initially, we thought that um, being recycled paper, that would be the major selling point. It was only if they liked the design. The design worked, then it was nice that it was 100% recycled paper. Sort of like if you if you have the wrong architect and you build on sand, you won't necessarily get something really good. I was going to ask you that similar question to like what what how, how what disadvantage would you be at coming into the golf industry, really not having learned what you've learned from the gift card from the customers that support your business. Uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have stressed the rankings and the importance of learning from the rankings anywhere near as much. Interesting. Because we had a, uh, uh, we called it the money room in the greeting card business, where our top 100 cards listed in order. Here's number one, Hippo Birdie, two years. Here's number two. And you could just walk in and see who the artists were who predominated the top 50 or 100 on the board. Just as when you look at the, you know, if in the context of there being 30,000 plus golf courses in the world, 
if you look at the top 100 or the top 50 or even the top 25, you know that um, greatness sort of stops somewhere in that top 100. What do you mean when you say that? Meaning you get to 120, uh, number 120 out of 30,000, that isn't necessarily great. It's probably as pieces that are great, but not really great the way Pine Valley is. That's the ultimate. You're making me feel like I really need to go play Pine Valley. You've never played Pine Valley? I have not. Uh, I'm glad I played here first, though. You've played Shinnecock? Uh, no. I played National. National's good. Yeah. So National's a good step. Have you played Chicago Golf? No. That's another one you should play. It's the best golf course ever designed, ever built on a lousy site. When are you going to create like an online golf school? Uh, to teach golf or to teach how easy it is to build them. Is it easy? If you find the sand site on the ocean, and I could, I could tell you where to go. Go to Oregon. Go to the sand belt there. It's 50 miles long, and you'll have trouble picking out the best site because they're all great. Bandon Dunes is on the southern tip of this stretch, which I call America's Lynx Land, and it's 50 miles of federally owned, state owned, and a little bit of privately owned dunes that are perfect for golf. What character trait makes it easy, though? It's, 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 it's not, I don't believe you that it's easy. What character trait that you have specifically sets you up for success? Uh, I was willing to work with David Kidd and Jimmy Kidd. Uh, Tom Doak was sort of a nobody when I started. Kurt Crenshaw were somebodies, but just beginning, uh, and those are my, my three main guys. So I think that uh, I, I never thought I'd work with Fazio, who's a very good guy and a friend of mine or Jack Nicholas, or Arnold Palmer, because they do their designs, not um, Lynx-like. Sometimes as a filmmaker, watching a great movie is inspiring, but watching a bad movie really teaches me more. Yeah. Did the Melrose Club teach you a lot? Uh, yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's a basically a dredged out of a swamp with Jack Nicholas being the architect. What I, what I learned was one of the reasons I joined Melrose back when I didn't know anything was Jack Nicholas appeared in one of the magazines and said, this is the best site for golf I've ever seen. So I took that to heart and said stupidly, um, if it's good enough for Jack, it's good enough for me. Uh, that it was only later that I learned that he and many of these architects would say that about every single site they went to, that it was just sort of a fool's a statement for fools to follow. Because they don't really care. They don't but really care. That, that they, might be... Yeah, that is a little strong. That's aggressive. It, they, they care about doing the Jack Nicholas golf course that is Melrose, and it's, as such, it's, you know, like many of his, like most of his other courses. Unusually, the buck stops with Mike Kaiser. Right? That's not that common. A lot, a lot of golf developments, it's like, cool, we got it. All right, now we're going to sell it. Yeah. And... We've got it. Who do we use? Let's call. And then they go to a brand name, Tom Fazio being probably the best, or Nicholas or Palmer. And let's give it to them. And we can't wait for opening day when Arnold will set the course record and he'll put his arm around you and say, what a good owner you are. But that, that assumes that you give all control to the architect. You were in one industry for decades probably developed a, a, a wonderful sense of confidence within your decisions around that. Did that go away when you moved into golf? Uh, no. Once I realized that the rankings were everything, and I got that from the greeting cards. 
The, ranking, the rankings told me that if you get a sand site and the right architect on the ocean, you have a pretty good chance of doing something unusual. Much, much the way that if you showed me the work of 100 cartoonists, I'd have a pretty good sense of the top five of those 100. I guess in a smaller way, the smaller decisions that, for example, Todd told us as we walked around the course this morning that even though Dick designed the course, you, you had a lot of input into the nuance and some, a lot of the decisions involved in yeah. the layout. I would, I would think it would be hard to develop confidence from the get with that. If you have a model, Eric, it's a lot easier. So my model was Dornick and Pine Valley. How, what, do you, what do you have to do to make this site more like them? Pine Valley said wide fairways. That's what I learned from Pine Valley. You'll see when you go there, they aren't 20, it isn't hard because it's 20-yard wide fairways. It's hard because the fairway is 150 yards wide, but there's only one spot in that 150 yards that is good. Brilliant. On the part of George Crump and H.S. Colt to do big, wide fairways on a really tough course. Their greens uh, may not be the best ever, but they're right in the, they're in the top five. Wonderful, big greens, some with a lot of roll, most that are rather flattish. My favorite greens at Pine Valley are pretty, pretty flat and huge, almost infinite pin positions. So those two things are, uh, are valuable lessons from Pine Valley, and Dornick is pretty much the same. During the beginning, the early stages, were you traveling? Probably I don't see you with a notebook. No. Uh, looking for broad conclusions like sand, like build in the dunes, like use a classical architect. Uh, do links, not uh, parkland. So sort of the big things you just see corroborated as you travel around and find your favorite which quickly for me became national, which you know. What a fun golf course. That became my model in America. Think of how good the greens are at national. Think how much fun it is to play. Is it too short for the pros? Definitely, it's obsolete. Does that mean, is that a negative for me? No, it's almost a plus. Give me 6,000 yard holes that are, are courses that are fun, and I'd much prefer those than Whereas a member for years, Butler National, where you basically if you hit your two best shots on a par four, if you're a 12 handicap, you're probably in one of the greenside bunkers. Within your uh, mark on the game of golf, there is there a moment, a, a singular moment that stands out to you as like the most joy you felt within this whole thing? Uh, Josh Lesnick, who was my first general manager, and I both... Uh, worked hard, and Josh in particular, to prove that you can break even in the south coast of Oregon. So he traveled all around, especially in the west coast, and advertised uh, what we thought would be, um, uh, we, we knew it was good, but we also knew it was remote. So the, Josh called me probably two months before we opened and said we're past break even, just in terms of advanced bookings. All his work and the publicity we got were enough to have on his books in, let's say, April, March or April, I don't forget what the month was, that he called and said, we're past break-even. So that was the moment. If I, I think of golf courses like greeting cards. It's a consumer product. If you like it, you will come and play it, and if you really like it, you'll come and play it again. And we found in the first two years we got a lot of repeats. I've been there seven times. Yeah. 
the adage in the, in the uh, uh, resort business is the second hardest thing is getting Eric there the first time. The hardest thing is to get Eric back the second time. All right, we're taking an ad break here, you folks. So check it out. Make sure to check out our regular partners of the podcast. Whoop Band, use your code EAL. Uh, go check out TaylorMade Golf. Fans of Tiger Woods, check out uh, Vice Golf, the old golf balls coming to RGC exclusive ball coming out pretty soon. Make sure to check out Jones Golf Bags based in Portland, Oregon. And as always, get your Precision Pro RGC rangefinder from randomgolfclub.com. Special guest this week, ExpressVPN. You've heard me mess this ad read up a couple times. The title of it is Bathroom R1. Not sure what that means, but anyway, when you use the bathroom, you always close the door behind you, right? <laughs> Sometimes, not if I'm trying to get weird, you don't want random passersby. Oh, random. They didn't highlight that word. Passersby looking in on you. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Use the internet without ExpressVPN is kind of like going to the bathroom and not closing the door, you perv. Did you know Did you know that your internet service provider like Comcast or Verizon knows every single website you visit? Actually, I mean, yeah, and I'm kind of, yeah, that's not okay, actually. And what's worse is they can sell that information to ad companies. Not okay with that. ExpressVPN puts a stop to that. Creates a secure encrypted tunnel. Who doesn't like a tunnel? Bo, do you like tunnels? Love tunnels. I love tunnels, man. And I love tunnels, especially when it's ExpressVPN and my encrypted tunnel device. Tunnel's exciting, man. Anyway, ExpressVPN is on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. Do you even know what a router is? Can you imagine what a router looks like? Don't fart. I've got, oh God. Anyway, the best part is about ExpressVPN is as easy as cleaning the bathroom door, closing the bathroom door. <laughs> you just fire up the app, click a button, and you protect it. So head it over to expressvpn.com slash Eric, expressvpn.com slash Eric, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V as in Victor, P as in private, N as in notch, dot uh, com slash Eric, and you can get an extra three months free. That's three months. That's 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 90 days. Imagine not having a drink for 90 days. <laughs> All right, next ad read, folks. Features. My man, my family over at Features, Hugh Gaither and his two sons, John and Joe. I'm into Features. The socks feel good. They hug my feet. They're kind of like a sleeping bag for my feet. Anyway, believe it or not, the holidays are almost here, and the more personal I make this ad read, the better it's going to be. <laughs> That's what they told me to tell you. Anyway, for 20 years, Features has been solely focused. Avoid joke, pun, Anyway, the pair of socks are great and can be a perfect holiday gift for everyone on your list. With features, every pair feels like a custom fit. That is kind of amazing. That they, they really do feel... Did you ever tried mine on? They wouldn't work for you. Did you take mine camping? No, no, those are... Maybe those are. Did you love those? Then it was them. Yeah, it was, they're good. Anyway, folks, the, the great thing about the features is that it feels like... Uh, what did I say that one time? No, I, I made a joke. It was like something from my feet. I can't remember. It was. It's kind of like a swaddle. It's a swaddle. For, it's like you're a baby. It's like your foot becomes a one-month-old baby, and you <laughs> and you just swaddle. That's disgusting. Imagine if your foot was just like a fat little baby. 
What other socks have I tried? I I don't honestly there's not a lot of socks out there that are as good as features i'm just going to be totally straight with you runners from around the world have loved features for years but they're not just for runners anymore golfers are going to get into it meticulously engineered to keep the feet cool dry and style and cool you can get into any nightclub wearing features you just hike up the pant leg and they see that little logo there and they're like this guy deserves to get inside from no shows to knee highs ultra light to max cush these designs are tailored for edate performance and extra support Lifetime guarantee. If you're unsatisfied at any point, get them returned. So head over to features.com slash Eric for $10 off your first pair. F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com. Promo code Eric. And that's going to get you 10 smackers off your first pair. That's two, three or two free coffees, y'all. See you back on the pod. Hey, it's Claude Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Golf is an unusual business. What have you found that's the most unusual? Uh, that it's so dependent on a site. There's so many golf courses that mean well, but are not on a good site. Chicago golf would have been some, if you had, if we were way back in time, we were talking about whether it was wise or not to build a CB McDonald Seth Rayner course on this farm field. I would have said, let's wait until we have a better site like national. But they went ahead and uh, C.B. McDonald led the way and said, I think I can make this really good. And he did. The greens are unbelievable. When looking at the layout of Bandon Dunes, the original course, and, and, and walking around, um, aside from that small real estate piece that you discussed earlier, what sticks out to you as, as, as the moment? Was there a moment there where you were like, this is, this is definitely... This is definitely going to be a game changer. Uh, I'm not sure I got total, totally confident until Josh called me in uh, 1999 and said, we're going to pass break even. But I certainly had a good sense when I could see holes that, uh, see and imagine holes like number five at Bandon Dunes. Number 16, which is David Kidd's original course. I mean, just take those two, and there were more than that. Just observing them, you sort of kick yourself and say, these are so good, it's too bad they're in Bandon, Oregon, four and a half, a four and a half hour drive from, why isn't it, why aren't we closer? But they, you know, a number of those holes stood out early on as if, if anyone comes, they're going to have a good time. What have you learned? Sort from- of a coming attraction. Yeah. What have you learned from uh, driving the, the, the trolley around Bandon Dunes? Uh, well, I learned that the trolley shows up, the shuttle shows up within three minutes of your calling. But as a driver, you, you've driven it, I've heard. Is this true? Uh, I haven't driven it very much. But you have. Yeah, I, lis- I listen to guests and what they say. And the, I don't reveal who I am. I just am interested in their chatter. And needless, needless to say, it tends to be, hey, how many times have you been here? And they said what, uh, what you just said, Eric. Well, this is my fourth trip. Really, I've been 12 times. Do you That's have... gratifying. Yeah, yeah. To build it and find out that they will come and want to come back. 
At first, when you said that my favorite moment was two months in when Josh called and said that you've made money or were breaking even, my, my first thought was, oh, it's, it's, it is a business. But then I thought, as we've been talking since then, that no, that just means that they're voting. Yes, and in terms of the business side of it, if it goes past break-even, then I get to build another golf course. I risked the first nest egg to get the first remote golf course done. And then the success of that, uh, I didn't want to keep funneling my own money into it. The success of the first created the second. The success of the second created the third, etc. So sort of as a way of giving back to the people like you who came early on, paid and then returned, that revenue, in essence, went to build Pacific Dunes and, and then the others. I mean, I've, I've just, I'm just now I'm sort of like a little lost here. Um, we're at the Dunes Club. We've come to the Dunes Club to talk to you about, what, was this a prototype? What, is it an early drawing? Is it, is it a notepad? What is this place? This, uh, this place proved to me that emulating Pine Valley was a good thing. If you've got the right architect or the right architect plus me coaching. And the fact that it worked uh, got my attention as a capitalist. If they like the first, why don't you build a second? Plus, it was so much fun, Eric. It really was fun building this. What, fun how? Fun why? What was fun? Uh, watching it go from a wilderness to a, a golf shape slowly but surely. I mean, it's a, it, because it's so close to my home, my summer home here, I was over here most of the summer watching it take shape and noodling and tweaking around the edges, especially on green, uh, greenside greens and approaches. Like most things in the world, probably everything is just subject to the person's perspective of what it is. A lot of people probably come here and, like me, they sort of, their, their hair is standing up because they're thinking this is the beginning. But you come here and it's not that, or is it? Uh, I do think that, uh, especially when I'm with people like uh, founding members, like that guy who just came in and, and guests. He had two or three guests who were looking forward to playing it for the first time. It's fun. Again, if, if a golf course is a consumer product, it's fun listening to people say, that was fun or that was beautiful. Those are the two things I like to hear. It's fun, it's beautiful. But the Dunes Club is not about the course, is it? I think it is. I mean, the little clubhouse matters, the patio, the caddy program, they're all important. But I think the, if the golf course weren't as well received as it's been, we wouldn't have 110 members and we wouldn't have the uh, outside uh, request to play golf that we'd get. Tell me about the outside request to play golf. We are really easy to get on. If you call me and say, hi, I'm not a member, but I've heard good things about the Dunes Club, and you sound re respectable and respectful, Todd or Matt or Woody will find a time for you that doesn't conflict with uh, don't, uh, uh, member time and get you a tea time and with the, with the promise that you'll employ our caddies. Are you prepared for the onslaught of, of requests? Yes. Should they we, tell you that they've watched this or heard this? Oh, I see. You're, you're huge. I'm uh, just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, you if, you if could get a lot. If they're patient and flexible in terms of uh, it's, it's harder when you say, I'm coming into town and I'd like to play July 5th. We can't fill those. Hmm. 
if you call, if, if your viewers call and say, we saw Eric and it sounded good, when is a good time to come? Then my guys will find a good time for you to come. And, and what, all we ask is that you pay a greens fee, which goes for the good of golf, and employ caddies. And what could they do to potentially make it even a better experience, like a leave no trace? What, what could they do to even make it even better for you? Even better for me. I think as long as they pay a greens fee, that's respectful. And most of all, use a caddy. That's all I ask. Okay. So it's not a public course, but it kind of is. Just the way a number of private courses have done for the same reasons, to employ caddies. I couldn't believe it when Cypress Point opened for basically 30 minutes every weekday, as long as you used their caddies, because they were losing caddies. The members at Cypress Point weren't playing enough. Sure Acres, where I'm a member, is same thing. Shinnecock, unbelievably, same thing. I can't give you a whole list, but those are very, <laughs> those are very private clubs. Yes. And if you have a way to, usually your own pro, calling their pro and saying, Eric's a good guy, can you get him on sometime in September? You can play Shinnecock, as long as you use their caddy. Because that's been a big question for me, to be honest with you, Mike. Wondering why this is private. And I think I have an answer, and I think it may not even matter, really, but it's come up for me. I mean, so why isn't it public? Um, I, it, it's my judgment that it's, it, if we were public, it would cost me a lot more money than being private with easy access to the public. So it might as well be a public course, given what your readers now know, what your listeners now know. Um, but it's not advertised as such. It's sort of a hidden gem, just the way there's no there's no sign to get in here. So it's my it's my business sense is if we were to stop being private and we were public, it would cost it would cost more than it does now. The members pay five thousand five hundred dollars annual dues, and with one hundred and ten members, that's a meaningful number. If we were public, I'd have to start over, and I'm not sure I could get to that revenue level. In spite of, and I appreciate your complimentary thoughts, it is a good experience, but it's nine holes. The greens fee of, you know, I wouldn't, our, our guest fee is $150. I think if this were a nine hole public, I couldn't charge 150 That may be the simple answer, that it's more lucrative and it's, and it's just a matter of which is less costly, private or public. My take on it, after walking up the ninth fairway was that maybe this is something that you didn't want to make into a business. Yeah. Initially, I thought I would just do it to get it. It was such a good site, and I didn't want to keep uh, having to go to Pine Valley two, three, four times a year because uh, I had young kids. And that, as I said, it, it dawned on me that this could be a lot like Pine Valley, and I could do it in my backyard. And that's as far as that. It was sort of a hobby. That's how my wife thought of it. For those listening or watching that haven't read Dream Golf, which they should, I'm sure you approve of this book. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay, okay. to read. The protagonist it's is not pretty upsetting. interesting. <laughs> it's not upsetting. Well, the prota protagonist, I, I agreed to do the book on the, on the condition that the book be about all the people who contributed to Band of Dunes, not just me. They did a good job of that. They did. Um, 
in some sense, the people that may have contributed a lot were your kids that played with you on this site when you didn't own it and there was no grass. Yeah, they said, this is fun. This wilderness golf is fun. I can get it closest to that tree. Paint a picture for those of us that haven't read the book. As to this... The, wilderness golf. What is it? What was it? What did you do? How did it look? Wilderness golf is a field where you can find, you find your balls. You I mean, you can't play it in hay this thick or you'd spend all your time looking for balls. So it's got to be sort of a thinly covered field where you can call out targets and see who gets closest to the target in one or two shots. <coughs> That's wilderness golf that anyone can play, and I bet you'd be surprised how many people figure out how to do it on the beach or that little field over there or my backyard. And the target is a tree, something yeah. like that. Um, would you mind um, obliging a request, which is to, and I've done this with a handful of people that I feel like are really in tune with kind of what we like to talk about, um, verbally in the moment, spur of your stream of consciousness, could you write a letter to golf starting off by saying, Dear Golf? Dear Golf, golf should be played with caddies. Golf is a walking sport. Golf should be accessible as it is in Scotland and Ireland for anyone who wants to play on any one of their private clubs. Uh, we are much too exclusive. My biggest beef, uh, my biggest suggestion is we get uh, all, of, all of us golfers playing match play. So many of us in uh, the U.S. versus Scotland and Ireland find it important to keep track of every shot that we make. Maybe that we're guided by the USGA who says turn in every card. But we spend an inordinate amount of time, especially the many of us who are mediocre, keeping track hole by hole of how many strokes we're taking when no one, including us, really cares. If you play match play and you're on your way to a seven, eight, or nine, you should pick up. In America, most, uh, most of us putt out because we've been taught by the USGA to putt out. So of all the things I'd change, and it's a beautiful sport, Insisting on uh, two against two better ball match play is the one thing that I would change. That was a great letter. But you guys go wide? Just a couple more minutes? Mm -hmm. um, it, what, uh, what do people not know about you? Uh, they don't, uh, well, I'm not public, so they wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't know about they wouldn't know about all the private things that I keep private. <laughs> it's a tough question. <laughs> it's kind of a throwaway question while they move the cameras around. Um, I uh, yeah, I'm just but I to be but here. I haven't been private about my two sons. I'm delighted that they like the like the uh, the industry. Yeah, and thus far doing great managing Bannon Dunes and Sand Valley. I had a great time. I don't, Michael and I played uh, the first open 12 holes at Mammoth with David McClay Kidd. Oh. He set us off on the first tee, and then as we were going up two, he flew away and tipped the wing at us, which was pretty cute. How did he get it? When did he get into flying? I don't know. I think, I think it must have always been something that rich people did, and he always aspired, I think, to be rich. And whether he's rich or just affluent, I don't know, but he makes enough... <laughs> He makes enough money to have his own plane, which I think was a childhood dream. Yeah. Um, do you have an opinion between Macrohanish Dunes and old Macrohanish? I don't. I haven't played the new one. You haven't played David's course? No. Oh. 
there's been such a burgeoning of lynx-like courses, it's hard to keep up, Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you? I haven't been to the Prairie Club, which I think is yeah. uh, quite good to very good. You probably know Gil Hans is doing a third course there. I heard that, yeah. I heard that. Um, what are some of your like favorite things to talk about with your architects? Uh, the most favorite thing is flat, big, flattish greens. Okay. Think of all the modern courses where um, whether the, the architect did or didn't sell the owner on, we don't need huge greens. If we have small greens, you're going to save a lot of money in maintenance. So we're going to build small greens with a lot of undulation because they're very easy. So you get, you get breaks on some of these modern courses that are 40 feet. Aim up there and you end up down there on that pod. As opposed to Pine Valley, where, where they, I'm not saying their greens are flat, but they are flattish compared to these modern courses, or national even more, if you think right. back to number two. Yeah. What do you think you taught him? Uh, what did I teach David Kidd? Uh, I taught him by, by example, using the Bannon Dunes, his, his course, which he did in, in, in unison with me. After doing that, he strayed. He went into the uh, Tom Fazio crazy green, crazy surprise mode and got a lot of criticism. So after, you probably know this, after five or six years, he wondered why he wasn't as popular as he always wanted to be so he could buy a plane and came back to Bannon Dunes with his crew and played it over and over and over again and, and took away the, the, the things like big flat greens, big wide fairways that led to Gamble Sands, which is a ball to play, and Mammoth Dunes. Mammoth fairways, Mammoth greens. No one has ever said, gee, I love the course, but it was too easy. You don't have what we do say is, that was beautiful, I hope you say that. Uh, and it was really fun. I haven't had that much fun. And I, I do get a lot of Mammoth Dunes in particular. I've never shot in the 60s before. You know, I'm a two handicap, but I've never broken 70. I shot a 68. I love it. I'm coming back. Right. You know, not, oh, uh, it was so easy, it, it besmirches my 68 because it was too easy, of course. No, one's, no one has ever complained to me about being too easy. It's, it's so strange. I, I heard, I believe the USGA did the study. Golf has the same satisfaction rating as airlines, which is very low mm. in general golf. In general, meaning you're asking people who don't play golf as well as those, just what the brand is? Typical daily fee golfers going out and playing at, you know, your maybe dubstrap on a Saturday or something, you know, uh, not, not enjoying it. Huh. So wouldn't we say it's because Reese Jones put in so many bunkers <laughs> that we're going to spend almost the whole day hitting out of bunkers? Well, I just look at it like there's so many opportunities to create a satisfying experience. Mammoth and, Dunes. Yeah. National golf link. See, but you're even just talking about the course. I'm talking about the entire hospitality industry of golf, which I feel like you, you've sort of made what's in regards to Pebble, like a risky decision of saying, no, we're going to minimize this as much as possible. And you're going to have fewer options and you're actually going to leave feeling more satisfied. Yeah. Was that a difficult process? I think that's just sort of style. Uh, uh, I, I learned a lot from the... Um, clubs in Scotland and Ireland over the years, just how low-key they are and how much fun it is just to be at Dornick, staying in that hotel and walking 20 feet to the first tee just to use them. 
I'm actually a fan of Turnberry as well, even though it's quite different. Uh, you know, that's high-end, posh. Mm. I remember the moment of finding out where the site of some of my favorite buffalo wings in the world is named after a close friend of yours. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about Howard and who he was? Uh, yeah, you threw me off with buffalo wings. They have the great wings there. The wings are amazing. I'm from Buffalo. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going. <laughs> no, I'm talking about McKee's Pub. Uh, he thought, well, he was, he was, as you know, very involved in everything we did except for golf. So when it came to restaurants, uh, he basically plowed his own way and went with his son, Colin, to Ireland and Scotland, not to play golf, but to look at all the surrounding stuff. And he came back and said, we've got to build a pub. Hmm. So that came before the Buffalo, Buffalo Wings was just trying things on the menu, but it was all Howard, Howard's doing in terms of you need a pub. If we're going to be a Lynx course, you can't just have fine dining in the gallery. You need a pub. He didn't ask that it be named McKee's Pub. I insisted on that, uh, probably after he died. What kind of person was he, though? Uh, he was a, a great combination of uh, artistic and uh, business-like. So he cared whether you made money or not because he knew, he knew that if Band and Dunes worked, he would stay involved. And if it didn't, he, he would lose his involvement. So he wanted it to do well, but had a very uh, aesthetes view of all the, the buildings and, and grounds that we did. He tied it all together. All right, folks, real quick, Theragun. This is a new ad read, and it's coming from a fan. I am into the Theragun. Okay, feel free to ad-lib the introduction with personalized copy or start with below. The stress of daily life weighs on us all. Whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person like you and me, trying to get through the day, muscle pain and tension is a real thing. So here's the deal. You can try, uh, I use Theragun. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest fears. I mean, muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. Wow. That's a mouthful, a handful, and basically a muscleful. So anyway, that's because the all new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet italicize this part is, you will wonder if it is even on. While you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. So anyway, I do love my Theragun. I've had it now for two years. I got a replacement once. Oh, they came out with a newer one, and I was like, send me the newer one. And they sent it to me very nicely, and I always have it in my bag. So anyway, try it for 30 days. No substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. Starting at only $169. Did you know it's only $169, Bo? I did. That's a, that's a fucking deal. I got to say it right there. Go to theragun.com slash Eric right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash Eric. 30 days. No substitute. Anyway, theragun.com slash Eric. I was actually talking with Michael, yeah, your son, um, on the phone the other day. And, and we, were, we, were, we were sharing a... a, a, a a feeling or a point of view or a perspective that I understand that for me and anyone listening when this comes out may be um, rare. It's, it's not a common feeling that people have spoiled within the game of golf. Um, what is that like for you? Do you feel that way? Do I feel that I could be spoiled? You are. I am. I play only the best golf courses. Um, I've, I feel that it's, I've sort of earned it. 
love that. So I'm spoiled, yes. I'm spoiled and I like it. That's such a great way to look at life. An example is Michael, who you know, he probably told you about the Lido Club. Yeah. I used to live in New York, so. He's building the Lido Club and he's never played Yale. And I just, uh, I have a number of Yale graduate friends in Buffalo who just said, Yale's now open. It closed brief, closed yeah. for a month or two. Yale's now open. Is there any chance you can get there? And, and it wasn't going to happen with my buddies from Buffalo. Um, but it dawned on me that here is a McDonald course that Michael's never played. Michael, have you ever played Yale? No, I'd love to. And if you were, since you're going to start the Lido Club with Tom Doak in May, wouldn't you want to see the, uh, Yale before you start? Yes, all this in the last three days. So Michael's calling Colin, who's in charge of golf. Yeah. I've forgotten his last the name. The teacher. Yeah. The, the, the golf coach. So he's going to be our fourth. Michael, his brother Chris, and me are flying in the 21st of October to see Yale. I love you. And yeah. Is that spoiled? That is, that's spoiled. I know I can get on. I know I can afford it. I know I can get there. And I know uh, we can get on. There are a few, a few places like Augusta where you can't be quite as cavalier. <laughs> what do you think of Augusta? Uh, I, I was stunned that manicuring can make the difference that it does there. With no blade of grass out of, uh, out of place and with all the shapes that Malister uh, McKenzie built, it's unbelievable. Not, it's not a Lynx course. Uh, I would not strive to do a Augusta-like course, but I think it's amazing. Could I ask you a question about Augusta? And I won't ask it if you tell me. Would you answer me honestly? Do you feel free enough to say whatever you want to say? Yes. Do you think it should be less well-kept the way it was originally designed? No. Really? That surprises me. I think it's the, the brand now is, the, oh, you will not believe that no blade of grass is out of place. If, if you were asking me if, if it should be a model for others, uh, it's, an, it's a model that most others can't afford. I don't know how big their maintenance staff is, but it's at least two times the typical maintenance staff. I'm sure they have people assigned to one hole, you know, snipping blades. In it. So it's, as a model, I don't like it. As a, as a standalone eye-catching beauty, it's like a Beaux-Arts building. Do you have anything on your bucket list? Uh, not really. You know, I'd like to play Wingfoot. Will I hustle real hard to go play Wingfoot? No. Uh, the, some, of the, some of the unknowns and little knowns in Scotland and Ireland I'd like very much to play, but I'm probably at the age of 75 and a half not going to. I'd rather play the top 25 on the, on the world list. What, can you name some of the courses that you'd like to play in Scotland and Ireland so that we can make a list and maybe have a little itinerary based around your theoretical bucket list in the UK? So I would start in Glasgow and play Turnberry. Okay. And get the, get the uh, sort of the elegant elegance out of the way. Then I'd go to Edinburgh and play North Berwick, the old course. Carnoustie's too hard. Uh, and Muirfield. And then I'd go up north and play um, Aberdeen, Royal, Cas- Aberdeen. Royal Aberdeen, yeah, thank you. Royal Aberdeen, <laughs> uh, Castle Stewart, which is manufactured. Uh, going go back to Edinburgh, Edinburgh, I'd play Kings Barnes, just because my friend. You played these courses, yeah. Okay, so I, I thought these were courses you'd never played, or that. No, were these are ones. Gems. If you gave me a choice of, of 
prospect play courses you've never played. No, no, I was thinking more there. You said that there were some unknown courses. Did I hear you right? Yeah. I want to know those. And I don't. Uh, we need to do more research. I, yeah, I, okay, I we'll circle them. back on another. There's point. so many of them. You know, right. The, the courses like Crail. Good. I barely remember Crail other than we had fun playing it, and I'd like to play it again, but it didn't make... Probably because it's not in the top 50, I haven't made it a point of remembering Crail. You, you, you mentioned Crail. I think of the socks. Uh, what is this? Do you... Are you... You don't care about dress code, or do you? No. Uh, I noticed tattoos on, on caddies. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan. I don't like shirt sleeves rolled up. Uh, and just in terms of you know who comes and plays, we do have co- a collar shirt rule, which we never enforce. I'm wearing a hat indoors, which is pretty much everyone we has all been do. wearing a hat indoors. Yeah, we all do. I'm having a bad hair day, so I left it on. Normally, I would have taken it off to match you, so I just want to let you know that, but also anyone who's watching the video. Yeah, most men are, are uh, it's the women who say they didn't take off their hats. Well, that's a military tradition that somehow moved into golf. Wearing your hats inside? Yeah, you're supposed to, I don't know, military. Hey, what, 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 you, you talked a little bit about what could change in golf and those things. Um, but what, aside from card paths and some of the architectural elements, what, what do you see and you just think, this is bad for the game? Besides the match play thing? I guess you probably S- said Slow it. golf is bad for, you know, that would be my first How one, do you fix two, that? Match play? Yeah, match Walking. play. I would look to the USGA, which, which USGA does a lot of stuff with match play. I don't know how they could do more. It's 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 interesting, you know, because because it's like you've laid it out. You you've explained. Can you guys bring the camera outside? Did you get some outside stuff? Great. Um, you've laid it out. You've you've explained the problem. You've explained your success story. Why is there resistance? Why, why is it not like why, yes? Why has no one gone to America's Lynx land on the coast of Oregon and at least bought land or talked to the state about, you know, you've done well with Band of Dunes, why not do many more of them? Is that an invitation? Yes. Let's cut this part out of the video. <laughs> Only you will know that. What do you think about Texas? <clears throat> about Texas? Yeah, as far as golf. Uh, Michael says that there's a lot of sand sites. I mean, just think of the size of Texas. It's big and how much sand there is in North America. A lot of it must be in Texas, which I don't really know. Hmm. And I've left Texas to Michael. <laughs> he's got Denver, which is, he's got uh, some great sites there. And Texas, which he thinks have good sites. And then there's Georgia, which definitely has good sites. Yeah. And there are many other places. If you said, uh, and what else? I would send you to the sand barrens of New Jersey. Half of New Jersey is sand. Wherever there is sand, there is wind. The wind blows it into dunes. There's one golf course called uh, Sand Barrens, the southern part, down towards Pine Valley. You know, you've spent so much time talking, thinking, playing the game of golf. What do you do that's exactly the opposite? Uh, I, uh, philanthropy, which I don't want to boast about, but I think that most uh, most wealthy Americans spend too much in themselves and not enough in philanthropy. So I've had great fun identifying uh, philanthropic uh, goals that are worthy of my attention. Most recent one is uh, you were surrounded by it, conservation in Wisconsin. The site that Michael has now totals 10,000 acres of restored sand barren. And there are another 
70, 80,000 acres that no one wants to own, including the owners. They want to dump it. They are uh, paper mills. So that's my most recent finding, that conservation slash restora restoration is fun. So are you... Sort of like building a golf course, but it's acreage being restored to what it was before we turned it into uh, plantation pines. So is that, are you an environmentalist? Yeah, remember, recycled paper grading started with the premise that y y you or women would buy something based on its uh, content being 100% recycled. We were a little bit wrong on that. It was a nice to, as I said, it was, it's nice, but it, that isn't the reason they buy it. But we thought if they, you know, we would help to create a market for recycling. In the same way, people aren't going to go to Band in Oregon just because the golf course is sustainable. Right. Is and it? most people either don't care or don't think it's important. Especially in golf. Is it sustainable? I think so. I, I don't have the pesticide use. I think you know our pesticide use is 10% of a typical Augusta kind of golf course. I should have that. I always defer that to uh, Ken Nice, our superintendent. What's the, when was the last time you raised your eyebrows? at something in golf, not a hole or not, not something design-wise, but some concept within the game of golf and said, wow. Wow, good. to think about. Yeah, positive. A wow negative is watching the U.S. amateur participants take forever lining up putts. Oh, that's forever. interesting. Forever. That was, that was eyebrow-raising. Where did you hang out during the U.S. Am? Uh, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18. That was quite a finish. Yeah. And we heard that Scafucci's dad was the one who really pushed him to slow it down because Ozzy likes to play fast. That was the scuttlebutt. Yeah, that's, is, that, is, that, is that proper gamesmanship or is that sort of in unnecessary? Yeah, unnecessary. So uh, I'm sure it's a site that I saw. Now, where did I, because I see so many sites. How do you like to see a site? Uh, just walking on it. Walking. There's one that's been approved that I don't own. That that was an eye opener. Uh, I could send you there. It's in uh, south of Bandon. It's called Pacific Gales, which has a website. Okay. So you can see the site, uh, which they advertise on the website. They have approval. They just don't have any money, and mm -hmm. they're too proud to call me. But it is a holy shit site. What do you mean they're too proud to call you? Why don't they just call you? You'd have to ask them. <laughs> So that's one. Uh, we would, if we went to America's Linksland, the south coast, the, the coast of Oregon, and either by helicopter or by car and foot, you'd say, wow, time after time after time. Yeah, I mean, I have, and it's all been after driving through the gate at Bandit. <laughs> We've simplified it for you. Yeah. You never have to leave. When you, when you go to Bandon, we're, we're done here. I, one more question. But when you go to Bandon, I could imagine as the owner, as the creator, as the person responsible, where do you sit in terms of like... I'm a customer. I'm just, I, I say, I am just like Eric. I'm, this is not my first time. I've been here multiple times. But I'm just like Eric. I'm looking at the whole thing with the golf courses and the condition of them being number one, but I look to see if Shu is the happy greeter that he always is. I'm always amazed how many uh, great smiling people Shu has working for him. There's one woman who I don't know her name, she has a great smile, and one guy, he's got a great smile. So just by their smile, that starts me off good. Then I've got to 
sample the food, eat it, play the golf, check on caddies. So I am, I, I am you. You go there with a mildly critical bent. You're there to have fun, but you're also there to sort of judge to see if it's as good or bad. Service-wise, conditioning-wise, green speed-wise, enjoyable-wise. You mean me or you mean any customer? Well, you in particular, since you've got a critical eye. How that's, do you know that's that? your job. I guess so. But isn't being a critic bad? No. I'm an English major, and I learned early that being a good critic meant knowing what you liked and why and being able to defend it, and knowing what is not, not good and why, and can you defend that. So, so how do you coexist between being a critic but also being a happy person? By making the right choices as it relates to site and architect. I didn't choose Tom Fazio, who's very easy and nice to work with. I definitely didn't choose Nicholas and Palmer or Freddie Couples, or any of the other pros who don't do any design work. They just say, this is a great site. So I picked the right architects and the right sites. And the sites are the easiest thing if you're willing to be anywhere. Think how many great sites there's still left in the sand hills of Nebraska. I'm excited to go there as well. Yeah, that's it. I'm probably most excited to go there above anything else. I only have two things really on my golf bucket list. It's, it's Sand Hills and to play the old course in reverse. Hmm. Yeah, I'm less curious about the old course in reverse. I would do that if my timing, if I just happened to be there. You don't think that would be so interesting? Yeah, I would be. You've been to the Loop. I haven't. Really? I almost did, but someone told me that the, uh, I was go- it was a couple's trip where I was going to be responsible, and we were going to Arcadia Bluffs, me for the first time, and we knew the hotel there was very good, and it is. And then going up to the, whatever the loop is at, Forest Creek or Forest... Forest Downs, yeah. Uh, someone reliably told me that I would hate the hotel. Maybe true. And because it was another two hours, I decided not to force everyone, force two couples, including my wife, to go to this place, knowing that they would hate the... Uh, well, what, is, what does Mike Kaiser hate in a hotel? Don't know. I never got there. <laughs> no, but I mean, why did they say that? Uh, no, noisy, bad oh. food, terrible service, motel-like. Since I didn't get there, I don't know what it was. Yeah. The course is incredible, though. I'll get there next year. Probably not in couples. I'll go with a guy, <laughs> guy trip because they won't care about the hotel. They'll say, eh, it's mediocre. So we're going to go out and we're going to play a hole or two with one club. Uh, we, have the, we have the throwing out of the, the waste area rule. Um, can you tell me a little bit about just playing the Dunes Club? Um, hopefully it's all visual for you and I've given what you've said. Uh, the, the impression I want people to have is just amazing, amazing landscape. Because most people aren't used to finding that you got to the big dune. You walked all nine holes? Yeah. I mean, where did that dune come from? Where did number eight green come from? So the biggest, the biggest aspect, I think, to the visual pleasure you have uh, here is you're not, you're not used to seeing open sand with uh, wispy fescue or these big dunes. If this were just totally flat, I don't think you'd have the same impression as you do with the landscape as it exists. It's been two and a half years since I've played national, but I feel like if you took away the natural grasses, 
and the large waste areas, it actually, based on that large dune there, it actually is quite similar. Yeah. It has this kind of feeling like where you're like really traversing. Tell me about your own golf game. It's lousy. I once was a five. I played number five at Amherst College. Uh, I was beaten by the uh, captain of the Yale team, 10 and eight. One of my, that was my worst experience. My best experience was tying the number four guy at Ohio State back in the Jack Nicklaus era. That was the highlight. And since uh, graduating from college and having uh, young kids and now older kids my, uh, and getting older, my game has gone straight south to 12.5 index 15 handicap. And my new game is, which we're not going to do today unless you insist, uh, Eric, is uh, two-person scramble. So we're basically on the same team? Playing par. You might as well. We're only going to play two holes. <laughs> what do you tell yourself about your game while you're on the course? Um, I Because I play two-person scramble almost all the time, uh, I am looking to uh, hit as many good shots as I can, just like normal, and forgetting those that we don't use. The beauty of two-person scramble, having played it now for two years, and forcing everyone I'm playing with to play it, and I don't mean to force you to. I'd love to. It seems to me an enlightened version of the game. Yeah. What is separating us from all being there all the time? The USGA and the good handicap. I like the USGA, but why they insist on turning every score in, it's important. You get all these uh, handicap committee people saying, Eric, you didn't, we saw you playing the Saturday, Sunday, you didn't turn in scorecards. We can't let this happen, implying that, you know, we can throw you out of the club unless you, you've been around golfers and seen them insist on putting everything out so that you can, they can really differentiate between a seven and an eight. <laughs> they look different. Most paper, golfers but... are lousy. Most of your listeners or watchers are lousy. And yeah. I haven't found too many people who like to be characterized as lousy. Yeah, why is that? They, they have the belief that they're better, better potentially. I mean, I can't tell you the number, I'm a lot older than you are, of, of men I know who are nearing retirement or have retired whose goal is to be a scratch golfer. Uh, I'm thinking of one, one in particular is now a six. He could become a scratch golfer, but unlikely at the age of 65. And another who just took up golf, who is uh, 65. He's a 12. He'll never be scratch. He believes he can get there. Hard work, and it's sort of the American way. I got to the top in business, I can get to the top in golf. So they're, they're a characteristic of people who uh, overrate themselves and their abilities. Just ask caddies. You know, when caddies say left edge, they know, they know that most of us can't even come close to hitting left edge. We can't even hit the pin. You know, we miss eight-foot putts by this much in terms of reads. It's, it's actually quite funny, and hopefully I'm imparting this to you so you'll play with people, and inside you'll yuck it up. I have very... I've, I've, I would much rather be good at my job than be good at golf. Are you a good golfer? Yes. So you're a two, three, four? Five, six. <laughs> so if, if I say yes, only knowing that 100 people are going to say if, no. If we had one other person, I would say then here, here's, the, here's the deal. He, the other person and I will play two-person scramble against you, no strokes. 
And I feel that we will come close to matching you at age, at uh, par, uh, shooting 76, 77. Sounds about right. Yeah. On a good day. Which I'm amazed. Two lousy golfers can play a five. I've done it numerous times. Yeah. And be around around equal, even. So you don't need to, let's, uh, let's not have. Let's play the scramble. Well, we'll be playing your ball with that. But it's, it's, oh, we can okay. do one club. We can do the one club. Okay. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you for the time. Are we going? Do you have any questions for me before we end the podcast? Uh, no, I'm sure you'll let Michael and me know when uh, when it is. And is is your podcast repeatable? Well, yeah. So whenever I, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we I can. The, Michael the, will tell me. Yeah. All that I need to know. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Let's go play a couple holes. I love it. Great.